Welcome to The Buzz, I'm Christopher Conover. On today's show, a look at Tucson's growing tech industry. We speak with Bruce Wright, the recently retired Associate Vice President for Tech Parks at the University of Arizona. We're trying to find new ideas, discoveries, inventions that will improve the quality of life for everybody, whether it's a cure for cancer or it's a way to, to detect uh, border intrusions or whatever it might be. And we hear about the launch of a new kind of startup academy in Tucson. We actually make the decision to bring in the company, not based on the idea, but based on the founder. This is founder focused, because I know that this idea might not be the right one, but the next one could be. We'll also have a final check-in with the race for U.S. Senate in Arizona. Bruce Wright has been with the tech parks for 24 years, since the beginning in 1994. The project began with one tech park at Rita Road. Now a second park is in development at 36th and Kino, known as UA Tech Park at the Bridges. We started the conversation with an explanation of the tech parks. Well, they really are a place where we try to facilitate and promote technology innovation. So we're trying to take technology that's being discovered here at the university by our faculty and students and move that out into the marketplace. And we're also trying to attract companies into the region that are involved in technology development and connect them to the university. And so we've created this place, this business park, if you will, that really supports and assists in that technology innovation process. You mentioned the university and this. Is this a way to keep the, the brightest minds at the university at the university? It is. I mean, I think it fits right into the mission of a land-grant university. First and foremost, we're trying to find new ideas, discoveries, inventions that will improve the quality of life for everybody, whether it's a cure for cancer or it's a way to, to detect uh, border intrusions or whatever it might be. The other part of it is we're trying to create high-wage jobs for the graduates from the University of Arizona, and in the process of doing that, keep those very bright people here in Tucson and southern Arizona. Are the companies that are out at the tech park, are they big companies uh, or are they two or three people with a really great idea and they're trying to figure it out? They're both. So we have industry giants such as Raytheon, IBM, Oracle, United Health, Citigroup. And we also have startup companies, small two-person startup companies and everything in between. And that part of our mission is to create the environment that supports companies in all stages of development. And so we have startup companies, emerging companies, and mature companies. For the, the startup companies, do you all help find them funding to get going in that incubator kind of way? I'm, I'm sure IBM has its own uh, money, and, and we don't worry quite as much about them or, or Raytheon, but for those smaller folks coming through. Yeah, we have a program called the Arizona Center for Innovation, which is a business incubator, and we assist companies in all elements of their development, uh, putting a business plan together, developing their products, seeking investors, putting together a marketing strategy, helping them to put their team together. So it's a comprehensive program, and we know that we can make successful companies. If they go through that program, they have a very good chance of succeeding. Are there limits to who can come out to the tech park if there are two guys in a garage who have a really great idea that could become the next Apple because that's how Apple started, can they come out to the tech park or do they need a little more 
backing or something? Well, we put those startup companies through a lot of due diligence. We really want to understand, are they committed to the company? Do they have an idea that's commercializable? Uh, within the University of Arizona, we have a program called Tech Launch Arizona, where we really sort through student and faculty startups and really understand whether or not they need to move forward or not. For community-based companies, we put them through that process as well. But we tend to focus more on mid and late stage startups at the tech park. Um, the facilities out there are expensive. Uh, it takes a lot of commitment to make those companies succeed. So we want to make sure that they're a real possibility, that they really have a pathway to commercialization. What's the best known thing to the public that's come out of the tech parks in the almost 25 years you've been out there? Well, there have been a, a lot of different things. Uh, MP Photonics is a company that was founded by a faculty member at U of A, uh, Nasser Pigambarian, one of the leading optical scientists in the world. His company has been very successful, uh, and so they probably are one of our stars in terms of uh, a company that's gone through the process and really succeeded. Something people may not realize is out at the Tech Park, the Rita Road one, it's the largest solar testing facility in the U.S. is my understanding, and people may not realize that that's going on out there. Yeah, so we have what we call the solar zone. It's a 223-acre site, and it's a testing and evaluation and demonstration site for new solar technology. It is the largest testing site that's connected to the utility grid actually in the world, and we have a number of companies out there testing all different aspects of solar energy generation and distribution. Obviously, you're proud of where the tech park began, became the tech parks uh, you know, over more than two decades. But what's your proudest achievement on the tech park horizon? Well, I think, first of all, that we've done this park successfully over these 20 years. We've created uh, great employment for U of A graduates. We've helped to nurture some companies that have been become significant parts of the Tucson economy. The tech park contributes almost $2 billion a year to the state economy, $1.7 billion here in southern Arizona, which represents nearly 8% of the total uh, economic activity here in the region. So I'm, I'm very proud of that fact. Uh, the park has tended to outperform uh, the real estate market in the sense of we have low vacancy, and that speaks to the fact that I think we're doing a really good job of meeting the needs of technology companies and com providing them with the kinds of space and programming that, that they deserve. Raytheon, which is always a big contributor to our economy, without Raytheon, how does it contribute? Well, Raytheon is the largest tenant at the tech park, um, and so they're a significant part of that. But we have substantial other companies that are out there as well. You know, that, that's really important to this community because we tend to be a low-wage community. We're trying to diversify that community and have less reliance on government as the primary source of employment. And these kinds of companies are starting to help broaden the economy, provide higher wages. And of course, in the process of doing that, they're generating significant tax revenues that then can help with streets and education and all the other things that need to be done here. We're talking with Bruce Wright, the head of UA's Tech Parks, who's about to retire. In recent years, other universities like the University of Nebraska have made what they call their innovation campus. Theirs is focused on agriculture. We have the tech parks. Is this part of the new business model for public and private universities? I think it is. Tech parks or research parks have been around for over 60 years. I think they're becoming an increasingly more important part 
of regional economies and the connection of a research university and a local economy is becoming really important. The other part of it is they formulate or they, they stimulate public-private partnerships. So our ability to do these kinds of things is much more tied to linking the private sector to the public sector, in this case the university, and promoting that kind of economic development. What's the next big thing, if you can tell us, to come out of the park? Well, one of the things that we're working on is this whole area of smart vehicles and intelligent transportation systems, autonomous cars, connected cars. I think that's going to be as transformational to the 21st century as the transistor and the computer and the smartphone were to the 20th century. We have great expertise at U of A. Uh, Dr. Larry Head, who's the interim dean of engineering, is leading a transportation research institute doing really leading edge research there. We're trying to see how you can link that to building an industry base here so that we become one of the centers of excellence in bringing that kind of technology forward. With transportation, does it help the parks to be close to what uh, people refer to as the Port of Tucson? Does that tie together, especially with the economic picture? Well, the Port of Tucson is this intermodal center that's it's a privately owned park. It's adjacent to the tech park, and we actually complement one another. So companies that are coming into the tech park, if they then need to spin out into manufacturing or they need a place to uh, do warehousing, those kinds of things can find those kinds of facilities there. This whole notion of logistics and transportation is a big area, and they, they are a key part of the sort of fundamental infrastructure that's needed in southern Arizona to play in that industry base. With the new park coming at the bridges, is there going to be a specific focus there, or is it just a case of you ran out of room down at Rita Road and that was the space available and close to the university? Well, first, we haven't run out of room at Rita Road. We've got a lot of uh, space and land left. But these are intended to be complementary parks, not competitive parks. The kinds of companies that are at the tech park at Rita Road tend to be more involved in hard products, producing things like autonomous vehicles or cameras or sensors or detectors, those kinds of things, and they need that kind of space. What will probably happen at the bridges is more things like health, uh, life sciences and bioscience, optics, um, cybersecurity, those kinds of things that need proximity to main campus in downtown, but don't need the large demonstration and testing spaces that we have out at Rita Road. And that is almost, it's just outside of downtown. So it really is very much part of the community. There's even retail now surrounding it. Well, the concept of the bridges is an urban village, a mixed use urban village right in the center of town. It's two and a half miles south of campus. It's about two and a half miles from downtown. It has a direct shot to the airport. So it's strategically, to find a 350-acre parcel of land in a metropolitan area is pretty remarkable. The challenge for all of us is to use that land wisely and really create a very special place. And we're working with the other partners in the bridges to try to make that happen. So there's a retail component of it. There's a residential component, office component, and then the research park or the tech park as well. Someone would say, okay, you've been there 25 years, but things are going so well. Why retire? Why walk away? It's still going great. Well, I've had a great career at the University of Arizona, almost 32 years. I've served in a variety of different capacities. You know, I just thought it was time for me to step aside and let some new leadership come in and put some fresh eyes on the tech park. We have a new president, President Robbins. He has really embraced the parks and wants to move them forward. Uh, and it's time for me to go on and do some other things. Uh, I, I have some other things I'd like to explore and, and look into. When it comes to the tech park, are they mostly domestic companies now, or do we have international partners, obviously something you'd like to see more of? 
Well, they're primarily domestic partners right now, but take Mexico's example. They're putting a lot of investment into creating technology-based companies. Ultimately, those companies are going to want to come into the U.S. market, and we want to be the place of first choice for them to enter the market. We have the natural ties to, to Western Mexico, familial ties, historical ties, cultural ties. We have a large Hispanic community. We are a great place for those companies to enter the U.S. market. So we're trying to reach out and find those companies, get them at the appropriate stage of their development, and then provide them with a soft landing into the U.S. market. And we're doing that in other places. And we're concentrating around technology sectors where we have inherent strength because of the research strengths of the university and existing industry base here. So it's in fields like advanced mining, precision agriculture, autonomous vehicles, solar energy, and those kinds of things. Is there anything that the city, county needs to do to help the tech parks make that next jump, be it airport expansion, intermodal expansion, or, or, or any number of other things? Well, the two things that we face all the time in talking to CEOs of both large and small tech companies is first the ability to attract and retain skilled labor. So that's a really big issue for them. Uh, we have been working really hard to make the tech parks a more interesting place for the millennials, who is the new cohort that's you know coming into the workplace and are very different than, say, the baby boomers. And related to that, of course, is having a good educational workforce training program. So we've been working with groups like JTED and Pima County One Stop and others to make sure that there are proper pathways for employees into that tech sector. The second one that we hear repeatedly is transportation and the condition of our roads. We are a regional economy. People drive from all over the region to come down to the tech park to work. I mean, surprisingly, we have a lot of employees from Oro Valley and Morani, even though the tech park at Reader Road is in the southeastern part of the city. So having a good road system is really important. And as you know, we're struggling right now with uh, our efforts to try to improve our roadway system and provide alternative modes of transportation. So I think those are the two big factors. The other thing is that I just think Tucson is going to have to do a better job of marketing itself worldwide so that it's not just perceived to be a tourism destination, but it really is known as a high-tech city. And we still have a ways to go to convince people that this is a great place for high-tech industry. All right, Bruce. Well, thanks for sitting down with us and good luck in retirement. Yeah, thanks for your interest. That was Bruce Wright, who recently retired as the head of the University of Arizona Tech Parks. This week, we're taking a look at Tucson's startup culture. Tony Ford and Aaron Gopp are the directors of the Tucson Founder Institute, a brand new program in town for people who could create the next big thing in tech. I asked them to start by explaining the Founder Institute. So Founder Institute is the world's largest technology accelerator. Uh, it's global. It's in 180 cities around the world. Based out of Silicon Valley, started by Adeo Resi, who was the, uh, the founder of The Funded, which was a website that connected investors to venture capitalists. So Founder Institute is a distributed accelerator. Instead of it being in one place, just San Francisco, uh, it exists in all of these cities with local directors. And Aaron, this is new to Tucson, correct? Yes, so this is brand new to Tucson. This will be the first time it's been introduced. And what they essentially do is they find a group of local directors that are going to carry the program through. And so uh, that's what this group is doing. And we will be introducing this very uh, regimented and established program here to founders in Tucson. When you say carry the program through, what's the program? So the program runs uh, about three months, and it's about 20 hours a week, so it's, it's actually 14 weeks is what it works out to. It is an intensive, action-based program for 
founders of companies. So while many of your accelerators out there will be based in uh, some sort of educational institution or uh, some sort of nonprofit, and they tend to be very uh, learning-based, this is very much action-based. So there's a lot of work. Uh, you will, if you are accepted into the program, actually work with mentors to validate your idea with customers, work to build investment-grade uh, pitch-capable uh, decks uh, and being able to pitch in a very short elevator pitch. You will create a Delaware C corporation and all of your legal documentation. You will launch a company. That's what's expected. Are these all tech companies or can it be anything across the board? So they need to be tech accelerated, really. So what Founder Institute is not interested in is working with non-scalable companies. So if your company is just a service-based company, say a consultancy, uh, it's not likely you're going to be able to scale. There are very few scalable consultancies. Uh, however, anything that's tech facilitated and can scale to a large size business is accepted. And other than that, there's no other criteria. Aaron, when we hear about uh, Silicon Valley startups, I think a lot of people have in their mind a certain type of person, white, male, young. Is that who you're targeting with this? Absolutely not. There's, there's no specific culture, gender, background that we're looking for. The beauty of the Founder Institute is it's really about the founder. This is for anybody that has that, uh, the, the willingness to take those big risks, to work really hard, to build something from nothing. And that really crosses all boundaries. There, there really is no specific archetype that we're looking for. I can also tell you that out of 3,300 companies graduated globally already, 34% were founded by women. That's a pretty good percentage. An average age is about 30 years old. So uh, not necessarily younger, not necessarily one particular demographic, not necessarily one type of background. What makes Tucson a good fit for Founder Institute? I think Tucson has an amazing number of people who are in their garage tinkering right now on an idea. We have more engineers per capita than any other county in the state of Arizona. Uh, we have a lot of retired military veterans. Uh, we have a lot of people who are skilled in technical uh, areas, optics, obviously, biotech, things like that, who are working at companies now, but have that brilliant idea and they want to start their own thing. And for so long, it's very difficult without living in a place like Silicon Valley, to get the education, training, support you need to move forward. There's no real easy roadmap for launching that company. Founder Institute is that roadmap. We all know about the tech park uh, associated with the University of Arizona. Are you all working in conjunction with them, or I don't want to say competition, but in competition with the tech park? I don't think it's competition. We're independent, but I would think that many of the companies that, for example, need wet lab space or are looking for uh, space in a tech park, uh, once they launch and get seed funding, would be a good fit for the Arizona Tech Park. A company comes to you, makes their pitch to get into founders, they're accepted, they go through the program, then what? What's the, what's the general history uh, of companies that have come through founders? First, just to note, only about 30% of founders that come into the program will actually graduate. It is an incredibly rigorous program. So if you've made it through, like Tony said, you have a company at this point. Founder Institute actually states that uh, I believe it's about 80% of companies that graduate actually go on to accept external funding. So what that means is you now validate an idea, you have something that people really want, and now you're off to the races. It's the idea of scaling and building something really big at that point. Founder Institute states that about 80% of companies that graduate will get external investment, and that's the point in which you begin to build a really big business. So there's a garage tinker out there right now listening to this interview and says, those are my guys. 
So they get hold of you. Now what? How do they pitch you? What do they need to bring to the table to get in the door of founders, let alone into the door of running their own business? That's actually a big challenge, and it's not a pitch to start with. Uh, they would go to fi.co, and they would apply and take a founder DNA test. That assessment assesses personality, capability, and uh, the kind of temperament to be a, a founder. And again, a very small percentage, about 30% of people actually clear that test. That test predicts your ability to actually launch a company. So you'd start there. Uh, we actually make the decision to bring in the company, not based on the idea, but based on the founder. This is founder focused because I know that this idea might not be the right one, but the next one could be, or the third one might be the thing that goes big. So we care about the person, not the idea. If you've got an idea to start and you can get to that founder temperament test, that founder DNA test, uh, then you would be invited to, to participate in the program. Is the goal to grow these companies in Tucson and headquarter them in Tucson and keep them here? Maybe they become the next Apple, but they're here instead of somewhere else? Absolutely. So it's economic gardening. We start with the people who are here in Tucson because they've chosen to be here. Uh, and we help those people build and launch successful, scalable companies. So just to, just to back up a second and talk about those other 3,300 companies that have launched, to put that in perspective, the estimated value of those companies right now that came out of Founder Institute is $20 billion. They've raised $700 million in funding, and they've already had 30 exits. You know some of these companies, uh, Udemy.com is an example. You've seen that come. That came through Founder Institute. So these are not small firms, and they've created 25,000 jobs globally already. We're talking with Tony Ford and Aaron Gopp with Founder Institute, which is opening up here in Tucson. So we're talking about those garage tinkerers, those uh, engineers who are working for other companies, say a Raytheon or something like that, who have the next great idea. If they're accepted into the program, Aaron, do they have to leave their job right away or can they keep their job that they currently have to make sure the mortgage gets paid and all of those things. Yeah, no, absolutely not. Actually, they're encouraged to keep up their lifestyle while they go through this program. And that's one of the beauties of the Founder Institute program. It is not an all-in program like you see a lot of, a lot of other startup accelerators. So make no mistake, there's a lot of work, 30 to 40 hours worth of work per week through the you know three and a half month course. But it is designed, um, the sessions happen in evenings once a week, office hours will, off, uh, will be offered later. So folks are absolutely encouraged to keep up their lifestyle and to keep their job as they work through this, but it, it definitely will require a lot of work. I should mention that 80% uh, of the founders who graduate leave their day job. That's the current track record after they graduate, after they launch. So they stay in their lifestyle now, but the goal is to get them to the point where this idea becomes their job. Aaron, you mentioned the 30 to 40 hours of work. There are meetings. You talked about, Tony, uh, putting paperwork together, forming corporations and things like that. What does a person do when they're in there? If you can walk me through, obviously, not all three months, but what is the program? What does a person do? So every session has some similar aspects to it. There are uh, hot seat pitches, which uh, is about a two-minute pitch where a company would get up and talk through what they've done to validate traction and pitch their company to industry mentors in Tucson. And we've got 20 of those mentors already signed up. They are the CEOs of top companies. We're talking about names you know in aerospace, defense, biotech. These are the top founders in Tucson who are CEOs uh, or C-level executives. Those are the mentors. They will each do... Um, Usually two or three of them will do a 20-minute talk on a topic. It might be legal funding. It might be customer validation. It might be marketing. 
Then you will do hot seat pitches, and then there'll be report outs from the teamwork from the week, uh, during the week in between the sessions. So that the topic changes every week, but that consistent schedule is over and over and over again. And I assume, Aaron, that uh, somewhere built in there is uh, meeting with potential funders, because it's a big step from the garage to even the lab to, to launching an actual company. Yeah, so the, the program itself doesn't necessarily have a specific setup for, for funding and for, uh, for investors, but there's absolutely a section that talks about how to prepare your company for that, how to get to that level of traction so that when you get to that point, you can have those intelligent conversations. And then the beauty, again, is this is not only just a program, but it's a network, which means once you've hit those milestones, you can find the right people that introduce you to the right people that may take you there. I also want to add that for everybody listening, Shark Tank is a lie. It's showbiz, all right? It isn't, you don't wander into a room with an idea and have someone who's a multimillionaire throw a check at you. That is not how the world works. How the world works is you validate and mitigate risk and put together a team and assemble a company and go out and prove that there's traction and that your company has the ability to make money. And then after you've proven all of that, you go find the people to talk to for money. All right, gentlemen. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with us. Thank you. Thank you. That was Tony Ford and Aaron Gopp of the Tucson Founder Institute. To learn more or apply for the Institute, visit fi.co. Last week, we brought you an extended interview with Democratic U.S. Senate candidate Kirsten Sinema. We've tried for weeks to get a similar sit-down with Republican candidate Martha McSally. The campaign never made her available to us. We recently caught up with Representative McSally at an event in Tucson. She answered questions from reporters on the caravan of immigrants currently making its way across Mexico towards the United States. This caravan is just an indication of the loopholes in our law that need to be closed and that our border is not secure. Every single day, little mini caravans are coming across, taking advantage of the fact that they know uh, that if they're an unaccompanied minor, we cannot return them immediately unless they're from Mexico or Canada. That if it's an adult with a kid, that they'll be released into the interior of the United States. Last month alone, it was 16,500 people that are in family units that have been released into the interior of the United States. It's overwhelming. Uh, cities like Yuma, which we'll be visiting in the next few days. Uh, this is not okay. I think most people, regardless of their political party, uh, will realize that it's not okay that thousands of people that we have no idea who they are can just show up and demand that they can come into the country while millions of people are waiting in line to do it legally. Representative McSally, a veteran herself, said the country needs to do a better job taking care of the men and women who serve in the armed forces. We as a society have a covenant with them that we're going to have their back, that we're going to make sure they get the world-class care that they deserve, especially from their combat injuries, both visible and invisible. So more needs to be done, and it just is doubling down on my commitment that as a veteran myself, uh, I'm going to deploy to the Senate to continue to fight for them. That was Republican candidate for the U.S. Senate Martha McSally speaking at a campaign event. For weeks, we tried to get an extended interview with Representative McSally, like the one we brought you last week with her challenger, Democratic U.S. Senate candidate Kirsten Cinema. McSally's campaign never made her available for the requested interview. And that's the buzz for this week. Tune in next week as we break down the election results with experts and some local voters. Find all our episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. 
Ariana Brocious produced and edited the show. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer. Andrea Kelly is the news director. And our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.